Thank you, guys. So when Ken asked me, I, I, he's actually, I'm the executive director of the housing in my hometown. So Ken's engineering firm is my bread and butter. So I met Ken, and my father said, there's a couple people you can trust at HUD, and then there's some you can't. Ken was one of the ones he said you can trust, and uh, his guy Chris is like one of my good friends from now on. So my life as a Christian man didn't always start that way. I was raised Catholic uh, all through grammar school, first through eighth grade, I was in Catholic school. Um, but sports was my, how do I say, my escape. It's what God blessed me with, talent. But he also blessed me with drive and confidence. And I knew there wasn't going to be one man to ever stop me from achieving my goals. Now, along the way, you know how God says, you know, when you're on the road, there's bumps, there's speed bumps, there's rocks, there's obstacles. Well, I had my share. Uh, after I stopped playing in the NFL, uh, I played eight years in the NFL, but it's a violent sport, very violent sport. Uh, I had a lot of injuries when I left. I've had 31 surgeries since I retired. I've had six neck surgeries, three back surgeries, 19 knee surgeries, and then we'll sprinkle in a couple more, but they're all minor. I call them oil changes because I have bone on bone in my knees, so I got to get them cleaned out every like two months. Uh, at that time when I retired, though, you get five years of insurance from the NFL and that's it. So all the existing injuries that I had uh, kind of came out after the five years, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Harvard did a study and they said, when is an NFL athlete that played as long as I have break down? Five to seven years. So my surgery started going, had a really bad back. So when you're in the NFL, I was a big gym rat. You can't tell now because I hadn't played in 20 years and I don't lift weights anymore. But uh, there's a thing called the hand clean, okay? So basically what you do is you take the bar, jerk it up, and you catch it, and then you stand up. Well, I was doing 450. It was max day. The first rep was so good and so clean, and it's not about the weight, it's about your technique, right? If you know how to get underneath the bar and snatch it, you can stand up. So all the guys were hyping me up. They're like, Luke, man, do another one. That would look too easy. So as I pulled on the second rep, the leather strap on the bar broke, so the weight went that way. I pulled this way, two pops. Just like that. Couldn't breathe. Didn't know what the hell was going on. So I'm laying on the floor, and trainers come up to me after that, get the MRI, and they said, you have two choices. One, you could play and not get the surgery, or two, you get the surgery and you never play again. I said, let's go with one. He goes, I'm not done. He said, if you play, you could be paralyzed. I said, great, number one. Not even a thought. I didn't even pause. I didn't even take a half a second to say, I'm sorry, what did you say, you, I can't walk? In my mind, as an athlete's mind, I said, I'm willing to be paralyzed to play the game I love. So you gotta be a little bit crazy, and I, and I am, so to play that game at that level, you know what I mean? So I'm at practice in Baltimore my last year in the league, my eighth year in the league, and I'm a bit of a jokester, you know what I'm saying? I like to have fun. I sneezed. I lost feeling from the waist down. So I collapsed on the ground, and I'm talking to God, and this is where our relationship went sideways. So I'm laying on the grass, and I'm like, God, do not do this to me this way. I'm a Jersey boy. You know what I'm saying? We're tough. How am I supposed to tell the story that I sneezed at practice, and I can't walk? I said, man, come on, man. You can't do that to me. You can't do it. That's not a sexy story. That's not a good story. I can't go home in, in my, my hometown and be like, yeah, man, I sneezed. Here I go. You know what I mean? So 
At the end of my career, I had to retire because of the sneeze. So Brian Billick and Ozzie Newsom, who were the head coach and general manager at the time, bring me in. I said, man, if I make it through the 9 o'clock meeting, I'll be all right. Let me tell you the story before that. So by the time they get me in the ambulance, I'm claustrophobic. So they're trying to put that neck thing, strap it across my face, and I'm literally <clears throat> punching the EMS guys. So it takes about 45 minutes to even get me on the ambulance. I'm like, if you don't stop touching me, just get me on the ambulance. As they put me on the ambulance, I start feeling tingling in my legs. I was like, okay, good, it's coming back. By the time we got from the state, from the practice field to the hospital, I got feeling back in my legs. What would the normal human being do? You'd probably go inside, get checked out, yeah? I ain't the normal human being. I unstrapped myself right off the friggin' ambulance, walked off, went to a taxi stand. Now picture this, shoulder pads on, <laughs> pants, pads in them, and a helmet on my head with no face mask. And I walked to the taxi stand, and then like, I took three steps and realized, oh my God, let me get this off. I must look like a crazy person. I walk up to the taxi, and the taxi guy's like, hesitating to run away. He didn't know what to do. I said, man, slow down. I said, I play for the Ravens. I just need a ride back to the facility. I'll give you your money. And he kind of, this guy can't be that crazy. I mean, he's walking around and has a Ravens practice. Said, Thank God, he gave me a ride. Anyway, we get to the facility. There's like 10 cop cars there. I said, man, what the hell? Somebody's in trouble. They were there for me. So I walk into the training room, they're like, man, what the hell are you doing? I said, man, I'm good. I need some treatment. Give me some ice, some stim. Excellent. They're like, man, you can't walk off the back of an ambulance. I said, yeah, you can. I just did it. <laughs> so my back was the, the kind of the thing where when you run out of insurance, I, I get the surgery in my back. Okay, It's four hours, two-inch steel plate four screws, they take three completely out and put an artificial disc in. I'm good, right? Everything's fine. Start working in the city. My man P over there, me and P were running the streets in the New York City, making some, trying to make some money, feed our families. And my neck, I'm on the train. I'm in the, you know, my, I'm dressed nice. I'm a quarterback. I like to look pretty. I'm not going to lie. And I started getting these spasms. Now, they were so violent, my arms would flare out. But I could feel them coming. So I would just tighten my arms down. Well, as this progresses, year, maybe year and a half after, I'm on the train, going to see a client. I'm in my three-piece suit, and there's an old lady. Now, I always had PLT. I always had headphones in, blasting my music. So one thing, my wife says, what are you, 16? No, I'm 50, and I'm still going to blast my music. You'll hear me coming from a block away. So I had my headphones in. I didn't feel the spasm. Didn't feel it, and my arm shot out. I punched this old woman in the chest. So I'm panicking and I'm upset. And I said, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. You know, it's an NFL injury. I'm, I'm physically crying, like upset. She's like, oh, sweetheart, it's okay. Uh, I get off the train next stop, go up, call my wife. I said, I'm never coming back to the city again. It was embarrassing. So that was when my relationship with God was gonna be tested. So. They don't give you IOU surgeries. They do the MRI. Basically, every man in this room's canal where your spinal column goes is 12 centimeters. Mine was six. My neck was collapsing. So the doctor says, hey, Luke, man, you can't drive no more, work. Can't, we may be considered handicapped. I said, hey, dude. Now, I, we're in a Christian group, so I'm going to keep it Christian. Uh, you can imagine our conversation. 
But I said, I'm not stopped driving. I got to feed my family. I got to go to work. So they don't give you for the surgery that I needed was a steel pole. Seven hundred seven hour surgery. They, they don't do IOUs for that. So what do they give you? Pills. So I get 125 pills a month, which turned into 400 pills in about six, which turned into 1,600 pills a month for two years. Sometimes 80 a day. 80. I took enough pills in one day to kill every single man in this room. True story, right? So for me, I'm saying to God, man, what the hell are you doing? I gave you everything. I sacrificed my body. I sacrificed my family, my wife, my kids. I said, we just weren't vibing. And, but I was still talking to him. So as the addiction got worse, I thought he just left me alone. Well, here's a funny fact. He was right there the whole time. How do I know? I'll tell you how I know. Now, not everybody knows this story, but at one time, it was so bad. I had called everyone I could possibly call for help. So I called the biggest, and I don't use names because I ain't no rat, but I called the biggest place that you can call. I tell the woman my name. I said, I'm going to kill myself. I'm at the end of my rope. I swear that she said, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Lucas. We're in a fundraising phase right now. We are a Christian, and God forgive me, but I gave her some hot you-know-what. She must have had to take a bath in holy water when I was done. That's how much fire. But at the time, here's the strangest part. I made the decision to kill myself. The pain went away. So I get my truck. I drive to the GW. I'm upper, lower, back, forth, front, up, top, trying to find a place to drive my truck right off the bridge. Now, I made the plan to do it on Sunday when my wife and kids went to church. But for some reason, the pain went away. Now it's in the middle of December, I got all my windows down in my truck, and of course my music was blasted. Now, if the cops were smart, I should have been arrested on the third go pass around. I went back and forth like seven, eight times, I swear to God, lie to you not. As I get home, I get a phone call. The conversation I had with the woman at the place I called is recorded. One of my old doctors calls me and says, Ray, call this person. Don't do anything stupid. I said, man, I was at the point of no return. I said, I can't promise you that. Sunday comes, it's a wrap. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't a dad. I wasn't a brother. I wasn't a husband, son, friend. I was none of those things because my addiction was killing me from the inside out. So at one point, it was a Saturday. And I'm sitting at the table, and like a pile of tears is on the table. And I'm like, this is, this is really it. This is, this is how my life is going to end. And I swear I heard a voice. It's not over. It's not over. Now, it could have been my dumbass, oops, sorry, my mind telling me something that I needed to hear in the moment. I don't think so. I think he was directly talking to me, that I was put on this earth for a reason. And then I had to find out what that reason was. Now I'm 50. I'm still trying to figure out what that reason is. But at the same time, after my near-death experience, somebody came to my aid. A guy by the name of Dr. Focasio. He's running a program for former NFL athletes. No charge. This guy gets my neck surgery. No charge. Sends me, well, my wife, 
with my addiction. All right, so here's how an addict's mind works, right? We are the best liars, we think, to everyone else but us. And in reality, the only person you're lying to is yourself, right? Everybody else knows the friggin' truth. They all know, oh, yeah, my dad, yeah, he's a little messed up. In my mind, I was still doing TV. I was still going to work every day. You know what I'm saying? I won an Emmy the year when I was at my worst. I was like, man, maybe I need to stay with the pills a little bit. Funny how that works, right? But I never was high on the air. I would stop taking the pills the day before. And then as soon as the show was over, the producer would be in my ear and he would say, five, four, three, and the pain would come back as soon as one hit. And I mean flooding back. So I always had like a little, how do I say, a little pocket full or, or like a little satchel of my pills. So when I got off the air, I would check the thing and I was living in Jackson down by Great Adventure at the time. So that's an hour and a half easy. When I drive, maybe an hour. I don't know. I would look at the traffic patterns and say, okay, and I would take my pills according to the traffic pattern. So if there was heavy traffic, I knew I wouldn't be able to get out of my car by the time I got home. I would take 10 right on the spot. Boom, swallow, 10. Well, one day Brian Custer was standing behind me. We did TV together for 10 years. He said, look, man, what you doing? I said, uh, vitamins. <laughs> he said, oh, I've never seen anybody take 10 vitamins at once. These are good vitamins, good vitamins. So he had an inkling, but I also took 20 on the way home. Now, I'm more concerned about the pain in my body than I was about driving on a highway where there's individuals that have nothing to do with me that I could have killed. It's a harsh reality to, to you know, take a bite out of, so to speak. So I go from, after my surgery, I go from 1,600 to 125. In the addict's mind, I'm cured. Problem solved, man. I ain't taking 1,600, I'm only taking a buck 25. Well, my wife thought differently. So comes downstairs one day and she says, uh, you go or we go. Now, for the first time in my life, usually I would say, see ya. Have a nice day. I'll probably say something else, P, but again, we're at the Christian group, so can't say that. I said, wow. She made me think for one second, like, is this all worth losing my three daughters and my wife? Hell no. So I went to rehab. Again, pro bono. The place I was at, I don't think really a lot of people go to because it was on the beach, had a friggin' chef, okay? Chef, yeah, posturepedic bed. Hmm. Here's a Jersey boy, never slept in one of those before. Uh, when I got there, I didn't want to be there. I didn't, because I didn't have a problem. Addict's mind. There is no problem. You already got the surgery. You're only taking 125, nothing's wrong. And when I get there, I was like, I want to say like 250. I was jacked, gym rat still. And when I got there, I would go into the group with my headphones in. I wouldn't listen to anybody. I didn't want to participate in none of it. I actually wanted them to throw me out. So when they would come to me, and there was this, I'm talking upper echelon of society. I was in rehab with heart surgeons, brain surgeons, CEOs, CFOs, lawyers, doctors. I mean, our upper echelon of society. See, drugs don't care what you do, what religion you are, what creed you come from. What nationality you are. They don't care. They just want in. And once they get in, it's almost impossible to get them out. But I'm here to tell you, it's not impossible. It is possible. Because as long as you believe in God, 
he will, if you ask for help, he will give you help. But, yeah, you can clap that up. The thing with God is this, in my experience, is that I have to take that step. And then he takes 10. But that step is, was so hard for me at that time. Because we were still not vibing too good, me and the Lord. We weren't. We weren't. I was at rehab like, man, I can't stand you. I can't believe this is my life. How embarrassing. Now, when I played football when I was younger, we were raised a certain way. You never ask for help. It's a sign of weakness. That's how we were raised. Like, if you can't do it and make your teammates better, then you need to go ahead and sit down. So me, I was never the one to say, hey, can you help me? Can you, can you show me how to? Nah, I wasn't doing none of that. I would have never made it to the top of the mountain if I was acting like that, asking people for help. The NFL is a frickle place. NFL, National Football League, that's not the definition. It's called not for long. <laughs> Two years. That's the average. Two years in the NFL. Every single guy I played with besides, you know, like Vinny Testaverde, who was, you know, Heisman Trophy winner, first pick of the draft. When we were at the Jets, he was still getting checks from Tampa Bay. I wasn't that dude. The, the minimum when I was playing was 78 grand. You know what the minimum is now? About 450. That's what they have to get paid. Now, yeah, I played football and I got a check. If they said there was no check, I still would have played. So as I'm in rehab, I'm trying to be the biggest a-hole that I could possibly be so they'll throw me out. So we're in group and they would go around and you know, say, hey, you have something to say? And I would say, F you pass. But I wouldn't say it like I just said it now. I was like, pass. The whole time. So the owner of the group I was at comes up to me and says, hey man, you're scaring the crap out of my people. <laughs> I said, well good, send me home. I don't want to be here anyway. He said, do me a favor. Take your headphones out. I don't want you to speak. I want you to listen. Now think about that for a second. I'm not even asking you to say anything. Just listen. So, you ever hear that term where you say, if we all throw our problems out on the table, you would take yours back? It's freaking true. Because the people I was with in rehab are nuts. They were crazy. The one dude pulls up in his Ferrari, throws a bag out the window, drives away, and I was like, I'm standing there, I'm having my cigarette, and I'm like, I know I'm black, but that's a little messed up. Like, you just don't throw a bag at the black guy. What, what, kind, of, what kind of rehab is this? He comes back with his Rolls Royce. Throws two more bags out. I said, man, I picked one of the bags up. I threw it at the Rolls Royce. He was like, man, what you doing? I said, I ain't no valet. He goes, I know. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. So I hit the Rolls Royce with the bag. Don't worry, he had a lot of money. He didn't, he didn't get upset about that. So well, next time we go to group, I start listening, and I'm saying to myself, damn, my life is not that bad. My struggles aren't that hard. Can, can I get help here? And <laughs> for the first time, I would just start picking a little bit from him, a little bit from her, a little bit from her, a little bit from him, and I used it. 42 days. That's how long it took me to get right. And I still wasn't right because I'm an addict. It's every single day I have to get up and fight the good fight. Now, if you ask me how long I've been sober for, today is the answer. 
I don't do years. I don't do months. I don't do any of that. Today, this morning, I am sober. You know what I'm saying? My relationship with God really came to pass when I was in rehab. They use a word called surrender. Okay. I don't use that word. Never was in my vocabulary. I'm not a surrender guy. You put a challenge or something scares me, I'm going to keep doing it until it doesn't scare me anymore. That's the type of individual I am. I have that, I don't know what it is. My father was a Navy man. Maybe that could explain it to you. I don't know. But I'm always that dude that wants to confront fear to conquer. So but my therapist was like, you have to say surrender. I said, man, you can kick me out right now. I ain't saying it. So for the first time in a long time, I prayed. I said, God, man, you got to help me. Tell me what to do. I can't say that word. And again, like I said, I'm not saying that God directly spoke to me, but he said, surrender your addiction. Surrender my addiction. Surrender. So I said, okay. So I go see my therapist the next day early. I mean, you're not really supposed to talk to her early. I ran into the room. Excuse me, my mouth's getting dry. Sorry. So I walk into her room and she's like, Ray, you all right? I said, no, I'm not. I said, I think I figured this out though. Maybe you can help me. I'm in rehab, of course you can help me, duh. So I said, I wanna surrender my addiction to the Lord. Does that work for you? She said, Ray, in addiction, whatever works for you works for us. Now, I must have said that about 37 times to myself, whatever works for you works for us. And then I realized that if we're trying to be better men, right, be the Christian guy that you've always wanted to be, you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be speed bumps. But when I surrendered my addiction, I was ready to go home because I didn't have to carry it anymore. He carries it, right? But every day is a battle. Every situation is a test, right? This guy up there wants us to be good fathers, good husbands, okay, good men in general, right, in his name. I don't think he's asking too much. I really don't. I mean, because we do a lot of other things for a lot of other people. I mean, most of you guys are like, you know what, Ken, is, he's an engineer. You know, I'm just a, a Rutgers College graduate who played in the NFL. The NFL doesn't define the man I am. Neither does my addiction. So when I talk about it, I'm proud because I conquered it. I survived it with the help of the man upstairs. Do I think I would be here talking to you today? Probably not. I shouldn't have been in the dirt a long time ago. You know, when you take 80 pills at once and then you wake up, at one point I was so mad at God, I said, man, I can't even kill myself, right? This is how you got me. This is what you doing to me. Like I took 80, I'm trying to get to see you, not thinking, I'm not going up there. I'm going down there, you know what I'm saying? But that's how warped I was in my head. But after rehab and after listening and after soul searching and after getting back in my relationship with God, I was the man I wanted to be. Now I'm definitely not perfect, gentlemen. I strive to be perfect. My wife will tell you I'm not even close to perfect. But she's Cuban, and you know they do what they do, so whatever. I don't, I don't really listen, so it don't really matter. Uh, but my kids, I have three daughters. 
and I didn't have a relationship with them for a while. My wife, she's my high school sweetheart. First time I kissed her, I was in eighth grade. She was a junior in high school. And I was ugly as they come. Buckwheat hair. Big Michael Strahan between the teeth, you know what I'm saying? I was not a good looking dude. Not as good looking as I am right now, I mean, but. Uh, I see my wife and me and my boy are on our bikes. As soon as I see her, I was the dude that would run to, after you know, Catholic school, run to the high school so I could knock her books out. I know that sounds kind of corny nowadays, but there was actually romance back when, you know, these older guys, we did romance, not you younger generation. I don't know what the hell is going on. I see her, I drive up to her on my bike, and I do the skid, like, like I was cool, and she was like, I was like, where are you going? Buckwheat, space, don't forget that. Now, my wife is hot. Woo, smoke show. And she's like, what do I have to do for you to just leave me alone? I said, that's easy. All you got to do is kiss me. <laughs> but then you're not going to leave me alone. Mm, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So she kisses me. She was actually taller than me, my wife. And I'm driving my bike home with my friend. I said, I'm going to marry that girl someday. He was the best man in my wedding, told the story at my wedding. Now, we all have trials and tribulations in our lifetime. It's the people around us and our belief in God that gets us through it. So rely on the people that you love. And I guarantee you, they will give it back to you. Now, for a guy who was, you know, in his own world in a hole, depression, anxiety, I was a starting quarterback in the NFL. I made choices to win and lose games. I'm battle-tested. Can't fight drugs. It's not a battle you can win unless you want to go to the dirt. That's exactly where you're going to end up. But with the help of my family and the help, you know, let me leave you with this. God said, people tell me God says he never, he never gives you more than you can handle, right? I disagree. I think God puts people in our lives to get us through that tough time, right? It's not about handling anything. It's about sharing. It's about family. It's about a Christian men's group in the morning. That's where you get your help from, right? For me, every day is a blessing. So first thing I do when I wake up, Opened my eyes and said, damn, it's going to be a good day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because I could easily not be able to say that. When you take 80 pills in one day, mm, odds are you're probably going to be in the dirt. But the man thought I needed to be here and do stuff here. So I do. I speak whenever somebody asks me to speak. It's one thing about me, and P knows, I'm not ashamed of who I am. My name is Ray Lucas, and I'm an addict. I'm also an executive director. I'm also a college graduate. I'm also a guy who played in the NFL. None of that stuff to me really means nothing. You want to know what the three best things is? I'm a son, I'm a father, and I'm a husband. That's it. So, thank you very much. So, I know I didn't show up last month, but don't forget, we're all Christians and God already forgave me. So thanks for having me, guys, all right?